You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Dedication, dedication. Every coach is preaching it right now. We preach it around here too. Let me just paint you a little picture. Imagine being me. Five o'clock this morning, you're wide awake because why? Well, a tornado is hitting Harris County, uh, where I hail from. And family's okay. Pine Mountain Wild Animal Safari took a direct hit though. Two tigers escape. They roam about Harris County throughout the afternoon before finally being captured. Do you understand what it took for me to have the discipline to remain in Nashville, Tennessee, where we are high atop right now on Sunday, March 26th, the year of our Lord, 2023, and do this show tonight? I didn't do it for me. I didn't do it for Colin and Jesse. I did it for you guys. And we've got a huge bundle of things in front of us to talk about. We're going to do it tonight. It's about time that we do the top programs, and they're not even going to be power rankings, just straight up ratings, rankings, they're going to be interchangeable tonight. I'm going to tell you, top 10 programs in college football. It's not always about what you did last year. It is disproportionately about what you are right now. I've got part two of the surprising coaching failure. Do we want to call it a series, Jesse? It's at least a two-parter now. We did it the other night, and quite frankly, we didn't talk about all the coaches I wanted to talk about. So I'll hit that tonight. We got several major position battles that are currently underway across the landscape of spring college football. And it is Tennessee Mood Tracker Night. All that, plus I throw a local restaurant under the bus because they let me down. And I'll do that in due time. They're watching us in Taylor's, South Carolina, Beckley, West Virginia, Council Bluffs, Iowa, Vienna, Austria. I am going to, probably tomorrow, uh, tweet out and throw out on all the socials what I would love for you to do in terms of uh, tornado relief. I was down in Mississippi Friday, horrific scene. Would prefer not to talk about a lot of what we saw on air, uh, but the folks down there in Rolling Fork and beyond, Amory, um, Winona, a lot of small communities down in Mississippi got completely obliterated. And um, so we love to use our platform to help out when we can. And so when I decide on the organization that we want to partner with, I'll let you know. You guys always come through. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it. Anytime I put out the call to action for our audience to help, I don't do it very often. But when I do, you come through. And so I appreciate it in advance. I'll let you know probably tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that. Okay, here we go. It's time to, it's time to finger pop. It's time to paper pop. It's time to take a sip from the chalice because we have a big task at hand. Brad hit us up. He said, oh, not not much, not a big deal. Just rank your top programs in college football from Gadsden, Alabama. Well, Brad, you didn't give me criteria, so I brought out a helpful post-it note. Here's what I care about. Not ranking teams. When we're ranking programs, I care about a multi-year snapshot. Could be three years, but, but we could really conveniently go beyond three years. I care about synergy inside your program. I care about the trajectory of your program, and it is disproportionately important for me to believe in the here and now. I'm not necessarily doing predictions, but I do need to believe in the trajectory. Now, this is not a catch-all. Obviously, there are going to be some exceptions to the rule. One of them I'm going to mention very, very soon. So here we go. I'm going to work from 10 to 1. I'm not going to spend any five-minute period on one of these, but number 10 in the country, Oklahoma, which is already going to make some people shake their head. I know because I focus grouped this earlier today and a couple of my buddies shook their head. 
they were not good last year. But this has been a nine-plus win team every year from 2015 until 2021 until last year. So this is a program ranking, not a 2022 team ranking. They got the coach they wanted in Brent Venables. Of course, the detractor could push back and say, really? Six and seven is what they wanted? No, they got the coach they wanted. They didn't get the result on the field they wanted last year. We have spent, I don't know, like three months talking about how untenable and in some cases unworkable the roster situation was for them last year. You call that an excuse. I just call it fact. We'll see moving forward. But I still believe in the positioning. There's no scandal here, no NCAA, this and that. Uh, They are really, really on good footing as a program. Not not a doubt in the world about that. Portal, top-notch classes. Top eight the last two cycles. Recruiting, ditto. Top-notch classes, top eight the last two cycles. They got the quarterback position secured with Jackson Arnold. And so, Oklahoma, number 10 program in the country. That's pretty hard to do coming off a sub-500 campaign last year. But that just shows how much that brand overall as a program has been worth Beyond just 2022. Now it gets a little tricky already. Number nine gets a little tricky. Number nine program in the country right now, University of Southern California. This is the exception to the rule. I'm not going to stack up their results over the past five, seven, ten years and make it look like some of these other teams and other programs that they're positioned in between. Because in the last five seasons, they're 33 and 24. These are extraordinary times there. Lincoln Riley has been a double-digit winner every year as a head coach, and that includes this past year, his first year as the head coach at Southern Cal. When I say extraordinary times, he put his roster together in an extraordinary fashion. There's the ordinary way, then you throw in a little extra, a little extra, as Paul Bryant would say, and you get extraordinary results. And then, as a result, I think I have to look at USC and think in a little different manner because they're not going about things the conventional way. And I told you, yeah, I care about synergy. Yeah, I care about trajectory. Yeah, I care about past results, a multi-year snapshot. But the here and now, today, is what matters the most. I'm not putting Southern Cal top five, but I'm also not keeping them out of my top ten. I really believe in where the program's going. I know what the comment section is going to say. Let me save you some time. I'd still love for you to participate in the comment section, but I'm going to say what I know a lot of you are going to say. But they can't play defense, but they can't stop anyone. They didn't last year. Uh, Lincoln Riley's teams struggled in that vein at Oklahoma. Relative to whomst is what I'm asking you. I also know we're going to do this little song and dance with Notre Dame in a little while. So I'm just go ahead and I'm stretching my I'm stretching my reflex muscle right now. It's not that I'm putting them in the top three. If I put them in the top three, all of this would be valid. I am factoring that in. The fact that they have struggled defensively is baked into why I only have them at number nine. Number eight. Just to show you, I play no favorites out West. Utah is the number eight program in the country. Two Pac-12 teams and thought about putting Oregon up here as well. Two Pac-12 teams in the top eight or the uh, top nine. Double-digit win seasons in 2019, 2021, and 2022 for Kyle Whittingham. The COVID year is the only exception there. Back-to-back Pac-12 champions. They've been to the Rose Bowl now a couple of times. Rock-solid identity. More so than any of the banners they hang out there, more so than this graphic you're looking at if you're watching live or on YouTube where you see all these wins. I just think about culture, I think about identity, and there's never a question about what Utah is about. Jesse plays quarterback for them right now. He goes by the alias Cam Rising come college football season, but that is producer Jesse. You don't need to see him. Just watch a Utah game, look at the quarterback, That's producer Jesse. A poor man's producer Jesse, might I add. They're consistent and they make you beat them. And they basically, they harness as an organization what Dabo has tried to convince Clemson they should harness. But the fact is, unlike Clemson, where you're having to manufacture the doubt, people really do doubt Utah. Uh, they, They always, the country falls victim to it every year. I, last year, fell victim to it. I picked Oregon to beat him in the regular season. Woof. Then we play the Pac-12 championship game. And I think Oregon's got things figured out. And it's the same game two times in a row. So I contributed to that. I was in the process of contributing to it last year. Utah, number eight program in the country right now. Number seven program in the country. I care about trajectory. I care about the here and now. I'm putting Penn State at number seven. 
Penn State's had trouble with Ohio State, haven't they? Penn State's had trouble with Michigan, haven't they? Well, I hadn't named either one of those programs yet because they're ranked higher than Penn State. Other than those two, Penn State's done a pretty darn good job out there. They've got four 11-plus win seasons since 2016. Administrative synergy is no small thing that we should overlook here. For quite a while, whenever I talk about Penn State on this program, and I talked about James Franklin, I was probably talking about how I thought behind the scenes he wasn't being given the same footing that his peers at other programs in the country were being given, yet he was being expected to match their results on Saturday, and I never thought that was fair. I don't think it's fair for anyone to be held to that Saturday standard when Sunday through Friday they're being nickeled and dimed to death. Well, I don't know that that's such a problem there anymore. It's not a perfect world, but I don't know that that's such a problem anymore. And what's happening? Well, all of a sudden, recruiting, you've seen a little uptick, haven't you? That overall talent level on that roster, you've seen a little uptick, haven't you? Drew Aller all of a sudden at quarterback, boy, that position is not such a gigantic question mark facing that program anymore, is it? Passion was never going to be a problem there. Uh, multiple, multiple generations of investment, that was never going to be a problem. A high-profile brand, that was never going to be a problem. It was just degrees of change. That's what it was going to take. So right now, they sit at number seven. That's not a ceiling for Penn State. They could climb even higher than that. Roster's going the right way. Recruiting's going the right way. And so there's a lot of energy around that program that I think could be catapulted into the stratosphere with a Big Ten championship run this year, of course. I think it will solidify a lot of what people like me feel is coming with that program. But even right now, I think they're positioned well at number seven. Now, the number six program in the country, and I struggled with, with which one of these to put in what order, but number six, I've got Notre Dame. This is where I know where we're going in the comment section. So Notre Dame's been the model of consistency as a program. Nine plus wins every year since 2017. So they've, just, they've been in the mix every year. I am going to be told they're overrated. I know that's coming. It's never not happened when we did any kind of rating-related segment with Notre Dame. It's never not happened when we have playoff rankings released and they're in the mix. It's always Notre Dame's overrated. Uh, they've, they've really upped their game in recruiting in the portal under Marcus Freeman, by the way, but trying to get out of the curve. Anyone who's going to tell me they're overrated here, anyone who's going to tell me Notre Dame is is too highly rated as the number six program in the country. That's fine. That's your prerogative. Tell me who belongs ahead of them. Don't just tell me they don't measure up to Alabama. I know that's why I don't have them listed ahead of them. Don't just tell me they got blasted by Clemson in a playoff game. I know that's why I don't have them listed ahead of Clemson. Well, one of the reasons. Don't tell me they lost to Ohio State. I don't have them listed ahead of Ohio State. We always do the same thing. And by we, I mean a lot of casuals come at me with this, and I have to bat it away like a pinata. Notre Dame's not overrated. They'd be overrated if I had them number two. I got them number six. It's a really solid program. And by the way, I gave you that stat there, nine-plus wins every year since 2017. Imagine saying that in, what, early October last year when they were woeful to start the year. It looked like they would struggle to make a bowl game. There was a point last year where I didn't think they were going to make a bowl game. They ended up still winning nine. And so now we get to see them be active in the portal. Again, got to stress that. Got Sam Hartman coming in at quarterback. So let's see where that goes. Notre Dame as, as is, as it stands right now. Got them at number six. This is where it gets really saucy. Number five, Clemson Tigers at number five. You could argue this is low for them. Now I would, I would entertain that argument. I got them at number five. Certainly, I'm not going to entertain anyone saying they're overrated. There's this alternate standard. It's almost like an Alabama kind of comparison in the sense that people have entered an alternate universe with Clemson. They just have this total alternate standard to where they're judged against past Clemson teams instead of being judged against the rest of the sport. And what I mean by that is, what's your perception of Clemson right now? It's probably negative. It's a net negative compared to what they've been in years past which is okay, because I don't think they're as good now as they've been in years past. And even having said that, do you understand what this program has done? Double-digit wins every year since 2011. We're talking about the snapshot of a program here. We're talking about rating a program. They've played for four titles in that span. They've won two of them. They've won the conference there seven of the past eight years. They are so good as a program, they're winning double-digit games, and it's being considered a disappointment. I join in that chorus in considering a year like last year 
a disappointment. And I am ready, willing, and able to acknowledge it's because they've elevated their standard there. It's the great consequence of success. All of a sudden, people set the new baseline. They recalibrate their expectations. But Clemson sitting at number five, and like I said about a minute ago, if you wanted to argue with me, they belong even higher than that. I think you can make a good argument. I got Ohio State at number four right now. That's the lowest I would have had Ohio State in a while. It's subject to change this year in a very, very big way. They've got double-digit wins every year since 2012, except the 2020 season when their conference got in the way. And they played for the national title that year, by the way. Uh, AP Top 10 finish every year since 2014. They've won a national title in that time. Recruiting is there. I've been to several Rose Bowls, won several Rose Bowls, been to playoffs, haven't won that national championship. Uh, To my knowledge, only the Clemson Tigers listed below them have accomplished that. So if you want to use titles as the standard, okay, find me the other programs that should be listed ahead of them that have done such things. Here's why I say this could change very, very quickly this year. You got one of two ways this goes. I think we all understand where I'm going here. You get to that Michigan game at the end of the year. If they win it, they're probably in the mix for a Big Ten championship appearance or a playoff appearance, depending on what Penn State has done. If they don't, it's all a moot point, and there are uncomfortable conversations that are being had around Ohio State football. So that's several months down the road. But I've got Ohio State there at number four, and for the first time in a long time, they are behind the Michigan Wolverines as a program. And I'm normally the one and have been the one last year who was making sure to preach to everyone Michigan just won a football game against Ohio State Uh, the team therefore gets to go do some things that Ohio State doesn't the team is better than Ohio State but program wise give me Ohio State all day and then this past year happened and uh, it's not by a wide margin but by the slimmest of margins I realized maybe it is time temporarily at least to bump Michigan ahead of them Um, would not have seen this coming, by the way. Wouldn't have seen that hiccup being stuck in my throat either. Back-to-back wins over Ohio State. Back-to-back Big Ten championships. Back-to-back playoff appearances. Things didn't go so swimmingly when they got there, but back-to-back playoff appearances. 10, 10, 8, 10, 9, 2, 12, 13. Those are the win totals since 2015. The two, obviously, is the COVID year. And by the way, remember what it felt like when they went 2-4 and in that COVID year. They rattled off their two best seasons yet under Harbaugh after that, and that was with all the NFL stuff in the mixture. Recruiting, they've averaged a 14th-rated finish in recruiting. I talked about on Late Kick Extra the other day, I responded to a question, rather, about how someone was wondering whether they're recruiting at a high enough level. Some of you pointed out in the responses in the comment section on the video, I should have been more in tune with where they're future classes are trending. Guys, I know where their classes are trending. They're not finished yet. It's it's not pen to paper. Certainly, if they continue to track that way, Michigan recruiting enters this entire other galaxy than they've been previously. And you couple that with what they're doing in the transfer portal and developmentally, they're one of the best programs in the country regardless, then it, it just further bolsters what I'm saying here. So, so Michigan right now under Jim Harbaugh, they are in a position, I don't even think Michigan fans would have bet a lot of money they were going to be in a couple of years ago. Let me ask you a question. Who's the number one and number two programs in the country? Most people, I think, would agree on the programs. What order are we going to put them in? I didn't really struggle with this, surprisingly, a whole lot today. I've got Alabama as the number two program in the country right now. Uh, now, it's not close between them and whoever number three is. But these top two programs, I think, have separated themselves a little bit from the pack. Uh, Bama, I don't need to tell you. D- Double-digit wins every year since 08. They've, they've been in the playoffs six of the last eight. They've won three of them. Top two to three recruiting every year. I think they may have just signed the best class they've ever signed. They're led by the best to ever do it in Nick Saban. If I'm doing head coaching power rankings, I take a nanosecond to rank that guy number one even now. Even Good song by, by uh, Bob Seger. Even now. Uh, yeah, Nick Saban, still a pretty easy number one for me there. But his program... Because of who's at number one, his program, I've just temporarily bumped down to number two. I haven't felt good about the staff churn there, and they've always got coaching turnover. I I didn't feel good about 
where they were offensively or defensively relative to their standard. And again, that wouldn't be cause to move Alabama out of the number one spot normally, but there's another program out there operating at a historically high level right now. And a program that I'm going to talk about in a second, obviously, that I don't question the core and the nucleus of. Alabama, I guess if I had to describe them last year and just in the here and now, they just feel a little bit wobbly to me. Still very, very good, still elite, but a little bit wobbly relative to what they have been. They just hired Kevin Steele and they brought in Tommy Reese, respectively, as defensive and offensive coordinators. Talent is never going to be a question. Leadership there is never a question. Um, we'll see. We'll see, because you see, last year was supposed to be the year for them. This year, you wouldn't circle it and say, boy, that looks like one of Saban's best teams ever. But who knows how that works out. Regardless of that, firmly entrenched at number two, and they're neck and neck right there with the number one program in the country, which is the Georgia Bulldogs. And it's really less about you know, their, their overall results as it just is how rock solid the program feels. I could talk to you about back-to-back national championships, uh, they've rattled off several of those double-digit win seasons as well. They develop as well as anyone in the country right now. They recruit right on par with pretty much anyone in the country. But it's a mentality thing. It's so rare to have what they have. And um, it's not just players. It's organizationally top to bottom. The reason why so many people have coached under Nick Saban and then failed to duplicate his model is not because it's induplicable per se or unduplicable. It's because it takes a rare cat to be able to do it. It's one thing to know it. It's one thing to write it all down in a little notebook while you work for him. It's not about convincing yourself he's right. It's not about convincing yourself of his methodology. It's about being able to put that in a whole bunch of other people. Some of them are 18 years old. Some of them are 58 years old. That is irregular. Irregular. And when Kirby Smart came into Georgia... Frankly, that was a program that if you could buy it for what it was worth and sell it for what it thought it was worth, you would have been a bazillionaire. And he came in there having never been a head coach before and had the stones to say, you are not what you think you are. I am. I've been at a place that is everything that you want to be. I know how to do it. Let me do it. And they let him do it. And he's done it. And he's continuing to do it. I heard him uh, speaking in Macon the other night. And he was talking about some of the pillars that they build their program around. And one of them, I love it, man. They got it from a rugby program, but I love it so much. And it is so indicative of what changes once you get to the top. He said, our players know you've got to be willing to eat off the floor. Does not matter how much you've won the year before, you've got to be willing to eat off the floor. I love it, man. Is so true. You cannot change what your standards are. You cannot change what drives you and the level of desire and motivation you have because you've got some results. All of a sudden, you're not willing to eat off the floor anymore because you're not quite as hungry. You're willing to wait for next meal or you're willing to wait for, maybe someone will bring me something on a plate. I mean, that's nasty. It's on the floor right now. You don't really last in programs like Georgia a long time if you don't have that because too many of the other ones do have it. And that's organizationally, that's staff, that's players eating off the floor. Every single one of them will do it. Every single one of them will eat off the floor there. Georgia's number one program in the country right now. And they got the number two right over there in the SEC West. I see the chat is mad. Jesse tells me the chat is mad that there's no LSU or Tennessee. This is the difference, guys, in a top 10 team and a top 10 program. LSU and Tennessee are not top 10 programs right now. They, last year, had good teams. Uh, you got to stack a couple of more years on top of each other. They had recent coaching changes there. And unlike USC, which, which also had a recent coaching change, I didn't think they fit the exception to the rule. I'm going to do the Tennessee Blue Tracker later in the show. But also, if you'll notice, look at the 2023 college football playoff title odds on the screen here. If you're listening on podcast, a bunch of the programs I just mentioned are here as a team in the odds to win the 2023 title. But LSU is up there, like you guys just got mad about in the chat. And LSU is one, two, three, four. So they're sixth. They got the sixth highest odds to win the title. Florida State, eighth. Texas, ninth. Tennessee, 11th. Oregon, 13th. You get that done, and all of a sudden we have a different conversation. You even stay in that conversation about the college football playoff or the national title. And yes, yes, obviously, this is a two or three year rolling snapshot. I can change pretty substantially. 
But that's what I think, you know. Um, we all have opinions on this, and I'm sure the comment section will be lit up about it. But no one's, look, I love what Tennessee did last year, but you're not coming to me quite yet and saying, no, 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 we demand to be listed as a top 10 program. Not quite yet. Close. Give me one more good year, and then you're in there. Not quite yet, though. Oh, you know what? By the way, that's the end of that segment. By the way, before we get too deep in the show, I got to show you guys something. If you're listening on podcast, I'll do my best to, um, to describe what I'm showing you. I, before I show you, we have a little tradition on Sundays that we just restarted today. There is a local restaurant that we order as a staff from, and it's a Mediterranean restaurant. And I, you know, I love the Mediterranean dishes, but I am also 10 years old. If you open me up, there's just a 10-year-old in there. It's never going to change. I love grilled cheese. Don't care if you pay me a trillion dollars a year. I am eating grilled cheese, a lot of it. And I don't really care what kind of restaurant you are. It could be Italian. It could be Chinese. It could be Mediterranean. If you, if you put grilled cheese on your menu, kids' menu, adult menu, Mediterranean, Italian, don't care. I'm ordering it. And I ordered it today from what right now will still remain a nameless local Mediterranean outfit. And they sent me this. This right here is many things. But it is not a grilled cheese sandwich. In fact, there's no bread. They took cheese. They put it in a pita, a little, a little trash pita that I think they pulled out of a bin somewhere. And they sent me this, making the mistake in thinking that since someone ordered off the kid's menu, it must be a child. And we just send them whatever and they'll eat it. I am not a child. I'm a very, very mad semi-adult. And um, so, so I'm not naming the restaurant. Starts with a T. I'm not naming the local chain Mediterranean restaurant. But if this happens again, we use this platform for good in a lot of cases. Um, we can weaponize it. And I will. I got cheese on my fingers. Okay, let's move on. We did this the other night, and it got so much good response that, and, and, and I didn't list all the coaches that I wanted to, that I wanted to go ahead and, and further this tonight. The head coaches that have failed, that surprised you the most over the last, let's call it 10 or 15 years, who are they? The other night, I mentioned uh, Scott Frost, for example, is a really popular name. I put this out on Twitter earlier today, and a lot of you gave me some names that I agree with. So I wanted to roll with this a little bit deeper tonight. Tom Herman at Texas. You know, remember when Urban Meyer was still at Ohio State? Tom Herman was there. There were a lot of folks in college football that thought Tom Herman was actually the engine that made a lot of that run up there. Now, the closer you get to the Ohio State program, the more opinions people will have about that. I'm talking broad strokes. If you just took the general opinion of quote-unquote college football insiders, that's what a lot of folks thought. I always heard that. And so when he goes to Texas, I had two thoughts. Number one, oh, that's not good for Ohio State. Number two, great for Texas. Great for Texas. I thought they would lead the way and be innovators offensively. And he had four winning seasons there. Top 25 finisher three times, but they did not win a Big 12 title. They had eight losses to unranked teams. Not very good. He was 32 and 18 overall, but more so than anything that's you know, listed on his Wikipedia page, Tom Herman didn't have the it factor that it takes to succeed at Texas. And frankly, I don't know if Sark does either. Now, I pull for him, but I don't know that Sark does either. Nick Saban's got it. Kirby Smart's got it. Those two could walk in there, and they would have what it takes to succeed there. It's basically having the ability and the willingness and the gravitas, and you can insert a few more adjectives, to walk in a room full of people worth way more than you, who were way older than you, who have been there longer than you and will be there long after you, who think they have forgotten more about Texas than you'll ever know. And you got to look them in the eye and say, my way is the right way. Your way is the wrong way. You hired me for a reason. Sit down, shut up. Let me do my job. And then you want respect from me? The results that I deliver. That's where the respect will come. That's where the return on the investment will come. Most folks can't do it. Tom Herman couldn't do it. It does not take that to succeed at every program. Texas is unique. It's a different animal. And it took that, and he didn't have that. Uh, Charlie Strong didn't have it. Sark, the jury is still out 
on Steve Sarkeesian there right now. That's why it's about so much more than just organizational structure and, and game day play calling and offensive design. Those things are important, but that it factor matters at Texas a lot more than most places. What about Will Muschamp at South Carolina? Not Florida. See, a lot of you said, oh, I'm surprised Will Muschamp failed at Florida. I was more surprised that it flopped at South Carolina. And I remember this because I was doing radio at the time. I remember how everyone would call in when South Carolina hired him and say, why are they hiring a failure? He's a proven failure, blah, blah, blah. Basically insinuating that what someone has been is what they automatically just always will be. And I don't believe that. I still don't believe that. It turns out that the South Carolina Will Muschamp era did not go much better than the Florida era. Uh, I just thought there would be lessons learned and applied. And the thing about failing is when you have failed and you get another shot, you have the least incentive possible to do it the same way you had done it. So I didn't know what way Will Muschamp was going to do it, but I didn't think he would try and duplicate a lot of what he did at Florida. Well, he was 28 and 30 in five seasons. They were fourth or worst in the East four out of those five seasons. So while I generally still believe in the principles that I just spoke and and I adhere to them, Will Muschamp ended up failing for some of the same reasons at South Carolina, and they ended up firing him for some of the same reasons that Florida fired him for. This next one, I got a lot of, and it was Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. He had killed it at Memphis. He had gone 19 and 6 at Memphis his final two years before they hired him in Blacksburg. And his first year was his best year. Jesse, how, how many games did they win? 10 games or something like that? They were a double-digit win team his first year there. So you think they're off to the races. Muschamp, I think either the first or second year, had his best season at South Carolina. Nine wins, I think. and They're off to the races. Progress is not linear. It's not. It does not always just steadily climb the mountain. Five wins, seven wins, nine wins. That's not always the way it happens. Sometimes, sometimes that window closes on your fingers a lot faster than you think. And for Justin Fuente, he was 43-31 and 31 across six seasons there. He had 40 guys they lost to the portal. And that's before the portal was really the cool thing to do. That includes Hendon Hooker, by the way. So Tennessee folks, you want to send a thank you card, send it up to Justin Fuente, wherever he is right now. Send it to Virginia Tech. Uh, the ACC was wide open. It still kind of is. You, you, Clemson, grant you Clemson, but behind Clemson, the conference has just been wide open. And this is one of many stories that you can tell your kids one day about someone in a program that had an opportunity to do big things and there was just a wide open vacuum and they couldn't fill it. And while they were failing there, so had been Florida State. So too had been Miami. So too had been their neighbor in state, Virginia. Uh, virtually everyone in the Carolinas outside of Clemson. So the last one I'm not surprised by. I threw this last one in because a lot of you guys mentioned it. Uh, This one didn't surprise me. Kevin Sumlin at Arizona? You were surprised that he failed there? Why? I thought that he should have taken a year off, and he didn't. He got fired at Texas A&M, and then he went right to Arizona. And I... I looked at it and I thought there was very little chance he was going to succeed. They went five and seven, four and eight, and then he was zero and five. His first five games of the season, he got fired. Nine and twenty overall. He lost his final twelve games. They got drugged by Arizona State, seventy to seven in the final matchup. Most points allowed in the history of that series. I just think he needed time away. I think Mark Richt. I think the same thing about him when he went from Georgia to Miami immediately. Sumlin goes from. A&M to Arizona immediately. You've got buyout money, and I'm not saying it's about the money, but just take a breath. Take a breath. And as I told you guys last week, and I'll always say, no one's stock decreases when they take a year off and they go do TV or something like that. No one's stock decreases. It only decreases when you lose. And he put himself in a pretty untenable position there, and it was, it was not made any better because he was there. But that didn't surprise me. Also, I got a lot of Rich Rodriguez at Michigan. That didn't surprise me because he didn't have organizational buy-in. Too many people up there did not want him. So I don't think he was ever set up to succeed. I'd love to know in an alternate universe. I'd just love to see a world where he, Rich Rodriguez, was to West Virginia what 
Kirk Ferentz has been at Iowa. He just stays there for, for a couple of decades. What would West Virginia have been? Because they, they've never gotten back. And Rich Rodriguez has never gotten back. They were made for each other. And they, they just, well, it wasn't a they thing. It was a Rich Rodriguez thing. He, he had the Alabama job for 15 minutes and then backed out of it. And a guy named Nick Saban takes it instead. Just a little footnote there. And he gets the Michigan job. And half of Michigan doesn't want him, which begs the question, why in the world did they hire him? But that's its own separate book that, that has actually been written. Uh, but I was not surprised by that either. So a lot of the submissions we got did not surprise me, but some of these did surprise me. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The least surprising thing in the world is walking into Academy Sports and Outdoors and them having what you need. Whomst amongst us is shocked by that these days? And so, as we turn the page from winter, the evil, evil, dreaded winter, to spring, it's time to get outdoors. Be careful. Check your weather reports first, or just text me. But it's time to get outdoors, right after you go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you can't get there in person, obviously, academy.com has you set. I told you I had to gear up on a ton of softball equipment the other day. Thank you, Academy. Uh, Some of you purchased fishing gear earlier today from them. Someone came at me the other day and said, I don't believe in the Second Amendment because I've never touted the firearms that you can get at Academy. Hey, they got firearms at Academy. So there's that. Uh, They've got everything that you need. And also, just a little bonus now, if you happen to like our show, Did you know that you're able to see it and hear it free of charge because of Academy? Voila. So they are our partner. They've been with us for a long time. They will be with us for a long time. And I hope that you're going to be with us for a long time. So just do yourselves a favor because you need the stuff anyway. Academy Sports and Outdoors, knock out two birds with one stone. Help yourself, help our show. It's just synergy. So That's what makes Pate State one of the best programs in the country, the synergy we have. Okay. It's time to get down to business right after I take a sip from the chalice. You know, you know, that bracket challenge is, um, I mean, it's, it's a disaster right now, but the Pate state bracket challenge is still live and somebody out there is going to limp over broken glass to the finish line. And three of you are going to take home chalice of supremacy. And I don't know who in the world it's going to be. I'm tied for like 250th. And absolutely, I tried to win my own chalice. Absolutely, I did. So I'm keeping an eye on it. I wish you guys the best of luck. You're going to need it. Uh, Remember, if you're here, let's see. Let me do some quick math. A quarter of you have liked this video right now. I don't accept that. We're better than that. I'm better than that. I think you're better than that. So click that thumbs up button and subscribe while you're here. Thank you in advance. Position battles are happening all over the country. And yeah, we could talk about quarterbacks and we do a lot, but let's get past the quarterback situation for just a second. I got to talk to you about several position battles. Chris Hummer has a great feature on 247sports.com that goes even deeper than this. And by deeper, I just mean it, it goes to more programs. But Georgia's corner situation, if you look at it, you could, you could be of the camp, the more casual camp that says, uh-oh, they lost Keely Ringo. Questions, questions. Well, they do have questions, I guess. Uh, Georgia's questions are better than a lot of your answers. So, I mean, Dalen Everett, Nylon Green, Julian Humphrey, A.J. Harris, what do they all have in common? Well, they're fighting for that starting job, and they were all top 100 recruits. I think three out of the four were five stars. 
they are loaded at pretty much every position, but this is important. This is one of those position battles to watch. Another one is at Notre Dame. I'm not even going to say wide receivers. I'm just going to say pass catchers in general. It was Michael Mayer, the tight end, not so shockingly, was their leading receiver last year. Now remember, you have to combine all of this with the fact that they went and got Sam Hartman out of the transfer portal at Wake Forest. He could blow up there this year. He could make Notre Dame a playoff team this year. And so I can listen to you talk about how overrated they are for a month instead of just a week. Hooray for us all. Who is he throwing the ball to? Because last year, uh, they do not return a single guy that had more than 361 yards receiving last year. So they can do a lot better. I think they've got the quarterback to do a lot better. Uh, Caleb Smith is a Virginia Tech transfer. We're keeping an eye on him. Jaden Thomas is a redshirt sophomore. They expect big things from him. Deion Colsey is in that freshman class. Really, really good and over overlooked. It's not overrated. An overlooked recruiting class. And why is it overlooked? Isn't this ironic, don't you think? Um, a lot of the crowd that comes at me and says star rankings are overrated are proceeding to overlook Notre Dame's recruiting class because they've just got a bunch of four stars and no five stars. Things that make you go, hmm, there are two sides to every boxcar, as Meemaw would say. Well, the side of the boxcar I want you to pay attention to with Notre Dame is those are some really good players. You don't have to have five stars next to your name to be a dominant Saturday player. I think history teaches us that every single year. Deion Colsey, it's not an exclusive list there. I'm just, I'm just naming him as an example is going to be given an opportunity to be an impact player this year. And unlike last year, it's not going to be a rarity, I think, to see Notre Dame able to complete a forward pass. Related note, I saw a friend of the program, Brad Powers, Notre Dame fan, I think. He was retweeting, I think, some some Drew Pine uh, highlight video. And trust me, I use that term loosely. It's some of the worst quarterback play you will have seen at the FBS level. It, It was shocking that that was happening at Notre Dame, and the fact they won nine games last year. I don't care who they were playing. I don't care if they played Hardaway, Shaw, Northside, and Harris County in consecutive weeks. Some of the quarterback play they were getting last year was atrocious. So welcome to South Bend, Sam Hartman. What about Oklahoma? Now we can talk about wide receivers. Oklahoma, think about a two-year rolling period here. So famously, at least on this show, famously at this point, Oklahoma saw four of their top five pass catchers leave when Lincoln Riley left Norman. Now, after the 2022 season, they're losing their top two pass catchers from last year's team. So they've lost a lot of talent in the receiver and pass catching department. Uh, Jalil Farouk, 466 last year. Gonna count on him. Drake Stoops, 393 last year. Gonna count on him. Need both of those numbers to be way higher. Who's the alpha? Got some younger guys, got some guys that haven't necessarily flourished yet that you could look at there, and that's what spring is for. That's what God invented spring for. Remember, Dylan Gabriel's quarterback there, but they've got Jackson Arnold who's come in, so we'll, we'll see who ends up playing the lion's share of the minutes, not just to start the season, but later in the season too. But I think, um, I think a lot of aspects of this program are going to be a lot better this year than they were last year. But I also think that for them to maximize their potential, look, Brent Venables is a defensive guy. Their defense was pretty bad last year. That is, that is where his attention's got to be. Jeff Levy, got to get it done. Got to find that alpha receiver and then let everything in that room work off of that. Their defense, not to mention wide receivers, just to go back to that defensive struggle last year, they gave up 30 points per game. I do appreciate they made it nice and neat. Not 30.3. 30 points per game, 99th in FBS. They were 106th in rush yards per game allowed. They were 118th in pass yards per game. They were 122nd in total yards per game. That's all defensive. That's not offensive. So a lot of work needed on both sides. We're going to talk, I think, a little bit later about a true freshman that could impact that. I want to talk about LSU's corners for just a second. The entire room... The entire cornerback room, pretty much, has been built through the portal. Denver Harris, former five-star, came in there from Texas A&M. Deuce Chestnut is a guy from Syracuse that I think is probably being a little bit overlooked right now. Uh, He's going to have a solid chance to start for them. 
J.K. Johnson was a former Ohio State kid, played some minutes up there. Zai Alexander, uh, FCS All-American from Southeast Louisiana, number five corner in the portal, by the way. So Matt House has got some talent in that room. They were 40th in pass defense last year. So not the worst in the world, but certainly not the LSU standard either. I mean, they, they understand what an elite secondary looks like down there. Can you put that together through the portal? Well, stands to reason, logically at least. You can find a lot of good players in there. But is the cohesion going to happen? Probably not in spring, but we don't have to play a football game at the end of spring. We will see them eventually tee it up in Orlando in another great neutral site game against Florida State. Uh, we will see it by that point. And by that point, I think LSU will, will probably have a pretty decent secondary. Now, I use decent as the floor. What you want is a very good to great secondary. And at least they've put themselves in position. They identified the position of need, and they went out and they shopped, and they got a lot of pieces. And remember, although they've already gotten a ton of pieces, we have not entered this post-spring period yet. So there is another shopping period, if you will, in the portal post-spring. They're watching us in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. They're watching us in Springville, Utah, Central Point, Oregon. Thank you guys so, so much for being tuned in. And if you're watching live, I appreciate that as well. There you go. I just said something in the live chat to prove we're live. Uh, the Mood Tracker's back. Welcome back, Mood Tracker. The Mood Tracker is basically us tracking the mood of fan bases. It is one of our most, most popular features. I have found that even if you're not a fan of the team we're talking about, there's been this fascination with this segment, and everyone just loves hearing what everyone else thinks about their team. And so we pull no punches on this. If people are unhappy... We shared that they are unhappy, but we pride ourselves on having a pretty in-the-weeds, on-the-ground-level feel towards fan bases. What they're really feeling, not what people are just saying from a thousand miles away. So Tennessee's mood tracker, where are they at right now? This is one of the easiest to do. Now, let me tell you two things that I'd love to be good at. Surfing and golf. I've always been fascinated by both of them. But... I don't surf, and I really don't golf. Great at putt-putt, but really don't golf and don't surf. And the reason is very simple. It takes discipline. You never really master either one of them. You never beat surfing. You never beat golf. But it takes a long time to even be halfway decent at them. And I'm not willing to suck at them. So I have not taken up surfing, and I've really not taken up golfing. But Tennessee fans have taken up surfing in a way. And for a long time, they have tried to get up on the wave that they once upon a time were on. They knew how to surf, at least in the SEC. They knew how to be on the top wave of college football. And then they fell, and their board hit them in the head, and they were in the wilderness for a long, long time. And there were some, some brief, faint radio transmissions from out there in the ether, and you thought, is Tennessee back? No, Tennessee's not back. Never mind. Butch, no, no. There's a trash can on the sideline? Third down for what? So it was failure after failure after failure. Derek Dooley's wearing what color pants? And all of a sudden, they beat Alabama last year. And all of a sudden, the dam broke. And here comes the wave. And the mood around Tennessee right now is ride the wave as long as we possibly can. And they have earned it. That fan base has earned it. They deserve it. It took a long time to get up on that board. But you see... There have been other programs out there that were in the wilderness for a little while, and they'll all tell you, once you finally get back up there, uh, that struggle, it just makes you appreciate the here and now. It makes you appreciate the success a little bit more. College-aged Tennessee fans or Tennessee current students, how should I explain this? They don't know their place in college football's history. They've been institutionalized. Okay, They've been in this little self-made college football prison where you're hoping to get to the Gator Bowl and you fantasize about what it would be like to win 10 games. And that, that is not Tennessee, okay? That's been Tennessee in your lifetime. Tennessee is supposed to compete for a national championship. That's where they're supposed to be. That's the conversation they're supposed to be in. Now, you got institutionalized because you watch a bunch of very, very subpar excuses for Tennessee football be trotted out in front of you on Saturdays in the fall. And so you came to be convinced and a lot of people tried to their part to convince you that Tennessee can't be that anymore. Remember that conversation? The game has just changed. 
Tennessee can't recruit well enough. I remember when we had Josh Heupel on the show last year, and he didn't let me get the sentence out of my mouth. And I wasn't even making it my argument. I just I started to make that whole Tennessee can't recruit well enough point. And he said, do you see my face? That's how disgusting that sounds to me. And he's right. Uh, a lot of that was just fodder. The fact is, their results had nothing to do with the system being stacked against them. Their results had nothing to do with the sport leaving them behind. They just made terrible hires. They just made poor decision-making. And they suffered the consequences. Now they made a good hire. And they are also benefiting from the plus consequences of that. Now you got to ride the wave. You, you're experiencing what I call the Red Bull effect at Tennessee right now. It's the sugar high. It is what you get for a little while. There, there is a finite amount of that energy and that sugar high and that Red Bull effect before you've got to you know, put together something that is sustainable. That's what we can't know yet. We know Tennessee looked really good last year. What we can't know is how sustainable is this? Are we going to look back in 2026 and say, that man, that one blip year, that made us feel like they were on their way, but then they fell off? Or are we going to be saying, look at Tennessee, man. They're here every year now. What started in 2021 and 2022 has, has become a consistent perennial powerhouse program. I don't know which one it's going to be. Certainly you can have your guess, as can I. But defense has to be better. They were, what, 85th last year in total yards given up. They were 44th in points per game. I think uh, probably a little bit overlooked has been the fact that they're recruiting better defensive personnel. They had the number nine class in the country in recruiting in 2023. They landed a five-star quarterback in 2023. First top 10 class since 2015. They had the most wins last year since 2001. They led FBS in points per game and yards per game offensively. So there is no more guessing what Tennessee football is. They are a contender. They are the fourth highest odds to win the national championship from the SEC this upcoming year. I think that probably surprises some people to see LSU listed ahead of them. It shouldn't. That has everything to do with the quarterback position. Now, speaking of the quarterback position, here's where my head would be if I was a Tennessee fan. I'd be... Looking at these mock drafts right now, not that these are you know f- from God's lip to your ears by any stretch, but look at look at the mock draft culture, look at the mock draft society right now, trying to tell you that Hendon Hooker may be nothing more than a third or fourth or fifth round pick if they're right. Let's just entertain this for a second, because this is what I would feel if I was a Tennessee fan. If they're right, that means Josh Heupel just owned college football with a player that was not a first-round caliber product. What happens when he gets one would be my follow-up. We had guys like Jalen Hyatt, who wasn't even listed as your number one. Cedric Tillman was supposed to be the number one, and he's hurt. And Jalen Hyatt just destroys Alabama. And, um, I mean, the only thing that stopped him was the buzzer, because he would have just gone off and gone off and gone off all night if they allowed him to. My point is, there will be people who look at Hendon Hooker leaving and say, uh-oh. And there will be people who look at the Jalen Hyatts of the world leaving and say, uh-oh. My question or my follow-up would be, were you touting them last year? Hendon Hooker, maybe so. Were you, were you guys nationally touting Jalen Hyatt? Are you touting Squirrel White now? Because you will be talking about him a lot come fall. This offense is going to make star offensive players every year. And so, whether it's Joe Milton this year, and you saw what he did against Clemson in the bowl game, looked like a totally different Joe Milton, whether it's him, whether it's Nico Imaliava starting as a true freshman, offense is not going to be the reason they're losing games. I know, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I know that. So I can at least take comfort in that. Let's move on. I got another question about a program that, frankly, we don't talk a lot about on the show, and I will tell you why in just a second. We don't talk a lot about Wisconsin. Why? Because our numbers say we shouldn't. But Gabe wants us to. Gabe asked me, how excited should I be as a Badgers fan right now from Madison, Wisconsin? Very excited. To the point, Gabe, where I think this is relevant to talk about in a sphere beyond just Wisconsin fans. You paying attention to the Big Ten? Better be. Better be. Um, 
it's an interesting thing about Wisconsin. It takes nuance and maturity to talk about Wisconsin football. You got one crowd out there that because they haven't cracked the playoff field just yells, oh, they suck. Wisconsin sucks. This program has 10 double-digit wins this millennium. They don't suck. And then you got the other crowd that says, yeah, that's proof that they're an elite program. Pump the brakes. They're not elite. They don't suck. They've just been pretty solid. That's what Wisconsin has been. Not able to break through into the top tier by any stretch. They're not in tier five by any stretch. Just a good, solid program. That takes nuance and maturity. And, and congratulations to us for having that conversation. But changes were needed. And they fired Paul Christ last year. Surprised a lot of people. But they fired him. Uh, that wasn't the biggest surprise. The biggest surprise is they landed Luke Fickle. That was the biggest surprise. And he brought in Phil Longo as his offensive coordinator. I had a DM from one of our longtime viewers. And it was, it was responding to just some video from Wisconsin spring practice. And I think it was Nick Evers who may not even start at quarterback for him. He's one transfer from Oklahoma. Tanner Mordecai transferred from SMU, and he may be the starter up there. But it was just video of a, of a deep sideline pass, just a simple go route, a contested ball, receiver comes down with it, and Wisconsin fans, that's enough to get them excited. And one guy DM'd me and said, Josh, I'm spooked. It's like someone pimped my ride, and I'm just waiting for the taxes to hit. That was from Nathan. Um they don't know how to handle good offense up there. They don't know how to handle explosive offense. Let me rephrase that. They know how to handle running the ball, but they don't know how to handle explosivity in the passing game. They're going to try it or die trying because uh, Phil Longo, he understands what he inherited. I've listened to him talk. He says it would be stupid for me not to utilize the run game, but, but there are certain principles we believe in and we're not going to abandon them and they're going to throw the ball at Wisconsin in this economy. Wow. And so they're going to do that this year. They got some transfer help there. I don't know if they're done in the portal this cycle either. But the media rights theory, I keep going back to this with Wisconsin. I'm a believer in this. The media rights theory is simply this. There's this bar that was good enough up until recently in the Big Ten for non-Tier 1 programs. So Ohio State's got to be elite. Michigan, they've got to try to be elite. Penn State, they got to try and be elite. Wisconsin didn't have to try to be elite. Nebraska, Iowa, they didn't have to try to be elite. They could tell you they were, they could pretend, but no one was going to be mad in the league office or at Fox or at ESPN, etc. if Wisconsin wasn't elite. It's not good enough anymore because they're paying you in the billions now. And with all due respect, you got to give me more than Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State if I'm paying you that much money. I think Wisconsin knew that. And I think that got disseminated very clearly in Lincoln, Nebraska as well. And so when it came time to make decisions, they didn't hesitate. Scott Frost, gone. Paul Christ, gone. Not just that. Who do they bring in? Luke Fickle was the hottest G5 coaching commodity in America. There were 10 programs that I thought could land him before Wisconsin. And Wisconsin got him. And they were willing to do what it took to get him. And ditto with Matt Rule. Matt Rule, once upon a time, blew it up at Baylor. He goes to the NFL. It doesn't work out. Nebraska landed him. Nebraska. Those are two Big Ten programs that have not exactly lit up the front page, figuratively, of course, in the college football world. And now, all of a sudden, the media rights theory, in my opinion, is simply with more money up there, is, is more pressure to, to spend at a high level, to invest at a high level, and to not accept anything less than a high level. And this also... Part two of that theory is why I think changes may be on the horizon at Iowa. What has been good enough there, I just don't think will be considered good enough for very much longer. That's a good thing for the conference. It can be uncomfortable in the meantime, but it's a good thing for the conference. And yes, absolutely, if I'm a Wisconsin fan, absolutely, you should be excited. All right, I did want to talk to you about some, some names that I need you to know. Oh, I needed to see you know, we do the show live right now, uh, but also, you know, I am a storm chaser and we have multiple live tornado warnings in uh, central Alabama. Okay, we're good. I'm just making sure that, that no one that I love is in immediate danger. So we uh, are back to our regularly scheduled programming. Okay, got some true freshmen that I want to list for you. I gave you a few names the other night. I'm not done. I got to give you four more. Dante Moore, I did not even list him the other night. Five-star quarterback at UCLA. Let me say that again slowly for those of you who don't follow recruiting. 
UCLA landed a five-star quarterback, not out of the portal, out of high school. And they paid to get him, and it's legal. He was at Oregon. He's committed to Oregon. And then all of a sudden, he wasn't. And he flipped to UCLA. He's the number three quarterback overall, number four overall player in the country, 6'2 and a half, 210, could immediately start for them. I think Colin Schley, the one of many uh, defectors from Kent State, is who he will compete against. So Chip Kelly is in a pretty good position. They're pretty enviable position at quarterback. Huge flip from Oregon, as I said, and one of the biggest risers in last year's recruiting cycle. Things have changed in the talent acquisition game. Things have changed. I'm just, I'm just telling you point blank, Chip Kelly at UCLA five years ago is probably not landing five-star quarterbacks from Detroit. It's probably not happening. And now he is, and it's fine. You can just do it now. Uh, what about Reuben Owens, five-star running back at Louisville? Nuh-uh, Texas A&M. He was committed to Louisville. Then he decommits and he flips. And because A&M only finished 15th in recruiting this past year, not a lot of folks talked about it. More on that in a second. Number two running back in the country. Number 31 overall player in the country. 5'11", 190. I think he will play this year. It's a situation where they had Devon A-Chain leave and go to the NFL. And it, it may not be that he has 30 carries in week one. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is I think they will not so subtly ease him into the rotation. And by season's end, he may very well be their best tailback. Now, it could be that way from the outset. But I definitely think Reuben Owens is going to be a guy that matters and plays meaningful downs in a big way at tailback for Texas A&M this year. He's already enrolled. Most of these guys are now. I mean, most of the players we're going to talk about are already enrolled. Uh, This was a big get. They needed to keep him home. Now, I said people have overlooked it because A&M finished 15th. This is going to be an interesting case study, you know, five years from now, maybe even three years from now. You had the 2022 class finishes number one overall, highest rated class of all time. Several of those pieces have already left. Then you have the 2023 class that finishes 15th. I wonder which one will end up being better. Three years, four years, five years from now, when you look back, the pieces of that highly rated class that stayed and contributed and the pieces of this class that stay and contribute, which one will be considered as better? It's a crazy question right now because on paper, it's, it's 2022, duh, we'll see. The other thing is, does the offensive experiment with Bobby Petrino work out? Is Jimbo Fisher still there three or four years from now? All of these are unanswerable questions. What about Peyton Bowen? Talked about that secondary at Oklahoma and how I was going to get back to it. Well, we're back to it now. He's a four-star safety. Number three safety, number 57 overall player in the country, six foot, about 185 pounds. Their defense, as we chronicled earlier, it struggled mightily. They were, in, they were pretty much in the 100s in all the critical stat categories defensively. Uh, Brent Venables, one of his quotes that I've paid attention to this spring is, out of all the roster improvement in recruiting and portal, they think secondary, they upgraded the most. And Peyton Bowen is their highest rated addition in that secondary. True freshman, yeah, he's going to have to play. They're going to need him to play. And so watch him there. And also, you know, he's from Denton, Texas. I kind of go back to one of the doubts I had. It was, a, it was a, a blind fear that has subsided mightily when Brent Venables took the job there. Just because there was some unknown about him being a head coach, I wondered how well they were going to recruit Texas. Well, I said it on the show. One of the unknowns is how well will he recruit Texas. And you're going to sink or swim at Oklahoma based on how well you can recruit Texas. They're, they're very good. They're, they've been very good recruiting Texas. Now, you got to win with the players, but they've been very good getting the players. Uh, By Job is a four-star edge at Michigan State, crown jewel of that class this past year, 6'3", 225. He was the number seven overall edge. I think strongly we will see him this year, number 55 overall player in the country. They return about, I think, 50, yeah, 56% of their defensive production. You watched Michigan State last year as opposed to two years ago, they didn't have difference makers. They just didn't. It's a lot. It's a tall task to ask true freshmen to come in and be your difference makers. But when you're void of them, they're not all of a sudden going to appear on your roster 
Very rarely does it happen that way. You will need an infusion of talent. And he's got to be that. And that's not going to be the end of the story there. They need more than just that. Uh, but he is, he's enrolled, early enrollee. Uh, first, num- he's number one ranked player in the state. And he's a, he's a guy who a lot of folks, I remember talking about it in the scouting community. A lot of folks looked at him and, and they talked about how he was just scratching the surface in high school. Best football's way ahead of him which is not uncommon to say about a high school player, but some, they emphasize that on more than others. So those are four more true freshmen that I'm keeping a strong eye on. See, a lot of these highly rated guys, they may be signed, and you don't see them in year one. They either redshirt or they play special teams. These guys I think you're going to see in year one. Good show. Really good show. Now, i gotta, I got to be full disclosure with you here. It's going to be an interesting week. On one hand, we have got the Thursday show live, right? I think so. On the other hand, there's probably another tornado outbreak coming later this week. And uh, in case you wonder why I'm talking about that so much, I storm chase in the spring. Probably should have led with that for the newcomers. So we're going to make a decision uh, probably tomorrow about whether we're going to have our live show on Tuesday or Thursday. We had it on Tuesday this past week and everything went fine. So we'll see. We're going to have you another live show, and we're going to have a late kick extra. It's just which day will those two drop on. All the more reason for you to be following on the socials, at Late Kick Josh. In the meantime, thank you for joining us. Another strong hour-plus show here. The casuals would tell you it's the off-season, and the casuals are not to be trusted. Not now, not then, not ever. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. A new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!